morning, everyone. Just sort that out. Great to have your Bibles open. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We've made it. Well done. This is the final countdown. Let's, uh, let's pray. And as we come to God's word, Father, we thank you that you haven't left us in the dark. And as we come to this final chapter of Ecclesiastes, we pray that you would speak and change us, grow us, help us to love Jesus more and love the world less and live under Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and not under the sun. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, last night, Kinney and I went to a Christmas party. It was for her work. Um, big dermatology group that owns a bunch of practices around Perth and uh, she's a nurse at one of the practices and to be honest, with the amount of money they're making, it was pretty uh, disappointing. The food was average, the drinks were okay, but I was expecting better to be honest. But um, I got talking with the husband of one of the nurses that works at one of the other practices And this story ends by Kinney thinking I was going to get punched in the face. Um, It was an interesting one. Uh, He was, uh, told me all his backstory and all sorts of stuff, and it was going great until he asked me, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And he said, whoa, I'm an atheist. And I asked him, well, what does that mean? And uh, he told me a bit. He had had a few drinks, to be honest. And he was very red in the face at this point. And uh, I asked him what my go-to line, which is, what do you think is going to happen when you die? At that point, he got very, very angry and said to me, "Uh, that's it, mate. You're gone. No more. And... um, said something like, muttered as he was going to have a cigarette, just believe in yourself and you'll be fine. And he went and had a cigarette and I went and got a Coke. That man is living under the sun. And uh, he is looking at life uh, from the viewpoint of no personal God in it and just trying to make sense of the world. And that makes sense, that's his conclusion. Just, when you die, you're gone, mate. That's it. No more. Last week we saw two big things about under the sun. That's Ecclesiastes language for looking out there and trying to make sense of life without a personal God in it. And we saw two things. One is all people die in sin. All people die, we know that, but the Bible says it's in sin, in rebellion against God. And the other thing is life is ruled by chance. Uh, Just things happen willy-nilly and you don't control it, you can't work it out. But then we saw that Jesus turns that on its head and he defeats death and sin and makes people live forever. But more than that, when he's raised from the dead, he rules. He's at the right hand of the Father and he rules. And so everyone, most people here, who have trusted Jesus, united themselves to Jesus by faith, whatever happens to Jesus happens to them. So did he die for sin? Well, you have died to sin. Has he been raised from the dead? You will be raised from the dead. And that means that we live in a world that's not run by chance and um, meaninglessness. It's it's a world 
that is secure and safe and certain because, not us, but because of Jesus. Under the sun, death is devastating and chance rules an uncertain life. That's what we saw. But under Jesus, death is defeated and he rules. And so we walk out into life now and death is not devastating and chance doesn't rule. And remember I said, if I went to the morgue, I used to work at Charlie Gardner's in the bin collection, very um, highbrow job. And when I was driving past, when I was a 20-year-old, with the electric car in the bins, uh, the morgue doors were open, and I looked, and I saw dead people. If I had have stopped and walked into there and said, listen, guys, time to wake up, nothing's going to happen, obviously, right? Because I don't have the power to defeat sin or death. But Jesus does. He speaks to dead people and they live. And we finished up at this amazing verses in Ecclesiastes, Ephesians 2. Listen, speaking to Christians in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit that's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desire, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Two amazing words there. But God. But God has cracked into a world under the sun, a world of chance and death, and brought mercy and power and grace and makes dead people alive. Now, having said all of that, I preached that last week and I woke up on Monday morning and completely forgot. Don't know about you. Those of us who were here last Sunday, did you wake up on Monday morning and remember that? Because I woke up and listened to the Perth Gospel. Remember what the Perth Gospel says? The Perth Gospel says, Matt, this is the place that will satisfy you. So live for it now. And if it doesn't, if it's disappointing you, be devastated. Be upset. Be down. Perth Gospel says, store up as much as you can right here and now, enjoy it while it lasts. It's that guy I spoke to last night. Just enjoy it. He's on his 10th beer or whatever it was. Because we're going to die and that's it, mate. But Jesus says the exact opposite. Perth will not satisfy. And that's what Ecclesiastes has been doing, right? It's been ripping open our world. It's been ripping open Perth been looking at the big ticket items, education, will being smart work, wisdom, will understanding life work, pleasures, possessions, money, seasons of life, work, leisure, all good things. But none of them give us what the deepest desires of our hearts. Like C.S. Lewis said, it's mud pies in the slums while our father's mansion is waiting for us down by the beach. We are far too easily pleased. And so last week we saw two worlds, one where death devastates and chance rules, the other where Jesus defeats death and rules everything and gives us safety and security. And I woke up and forgot. 
How dumb am I? Oh, I'm dumb, eh? You guys aren't that dumb. We naturally forget the amazing things of God. And that's why I think Ecclesiastes finishes up with a call to what? Remember. Did you see it? There in verse 1 and again in verse 6. Remember. Now this isn't don't forget as if remembering is our default. It's not forgetting is our, not our default. Our default is forgetting. So we need to remember. It's bring to mind. The first thing we see is remember God before trouble comes. Have a look at verse 1 again of chapter 12. It says this. Remember your creator in the days of your trouble, before the days of, uh, uh, in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember before. Remember, that kind of mem- remembering is bring it to the forefront of your thinking. Don't live as if you're the reason for your existence. You have a creator and you're answerable to him. In the days of your youth here, it's not just talking for the kids. They kind of, let's go talk to them, they're out there. It's talking to us. It's talking to everyone who's got the ability to appropriate this. Remember God before trouble comes. Did you see what the trouble is? This terrible description of life getting worse and worse and worse. Did you see it? It's set to beautiful picture language, by the way, poetic. Have a look. The sun, the moon, the light, the stars grow dark. The clouds return. The picture here is a whole community in decline. The servants, the strong men, the working class grinders. The high society look down from their windows and they either tremble, they stoop, they cease, they grow dim and they fade. You've got this little picture of the almond tree blossoming and the, the grasshopper drags himself along until he just gets weary. It's this idea that, oh, life is unbelievably wearisome and it's getting harder and harder. Po- poetic end times language for everything going wrong. The end times of the individual, you, is being pictured as the end times of the world. There's darkness, there's terror. Normal activities are ceasing. It's a picture of you growing old. And it climaxes in death. Yes, death again. Did you see it in verse 5? Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember God before trouble comes. Verse 6 repeats it and makes it even more clear. Did you see it? Have a look, verse 6. Remember him before what? The silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, the pitch is shattered, the wheel is broken at the well, dust returns to the ground it came from. It's a big picture of you and I growing old and dying. This is the most depressing book you've ever read in your life, right? Remember your creator before the days of trouble come. That is, before you grow old and die. Remember last week I told you about a man that I sat with recently and his body's failing him and he's resigned to the fact that he's going to die. And I asked him what he thought would happen when he died, my go-to line, and he said, well, he didn't say, uh, nothing, mate. He said, 
I'm going to rot in the ground. It's absolutely tragic. Here is a man whose silver cord is about to be severed. What does he need? He needs to remember his creator. But it's not enough to just remember, is it? If I remember that I've locked my keys in the car right now, it's not enough, is it? Well, Duncraig's not that far. I suppose I could walk. No, no, no. If I remember I've locked my keys in the car, then I'm going to go do something about it, right? That's the kind of remembering we're talking about here. Remembering that changes your life. And that's why Ecclesiastes ends by telling us exactly what to do. Do you see it? Fear God and keep his commandments. Have a look from verse 8 of Ecclesiastes 12. This is the last uh, bit of the teacher. He summarizes everything and surprise, surprise, what's his conclusion? Verse 8, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. And we go, oh man, we've heard this a hundred times. Yep, repetition is there deliberately. It's the right place for him to finish. He repeats exactly what he's found. He's tested everything and found everything to be, remember that word meaningless is vapour. Literally the stuff that comes off your mouth on a cold morning. And that's where the teacher ends. But that's not where the book ends. We get this inspired editorial God has put in here. An editor has given us a summary. Very helpful summary. Have a look from verse 9. He explains, Not only was the teacher wise, but he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set to order many parables. The teacher searched to find just the right words. What he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. So here's this really helpful epilogue to the whole thing, summarises everything for us uh, and tells us that the words of the wise, including Ecclesiastes, are like goads. You know what a goad is? It's a big stick with nails in it that a shepherd uses to keep the sheep on the straight and narrow. Now, these, these words are like goads. Did you see five little words? Given by one shepherd. Is that four? Yeah, four. Given by one shepherd. I'd never seen that before. Have you seen that before? Who's the one shepherd? Well, I only know one shepherd in the Bible. And that shepherd loves his sheep, lays down his life for his sheep, speaks the word of truth to his sheep. He directs them away from danger, even with a big stick. One shepherd that will do absolutely anything to make sure his sheep stay safe and secure. And what does this shepherd Jesus say? Remember. And fear God and keep his commandments. This is the absolute conclusion. Have a look, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. It's all done. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or it's evil. Now, I don't know about you, but I love wrapping things up neat and tidy. Really good. And this is really helpful. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear here is not being afraid. Well, it's not just being afraid. It is treating God as God. 
and you as humans. Reverence, awe, honour. Fearing him is bigger than afraid. It's reverence and awe. It's seeing God as God and you as human. That's why we listen to his words, keep his commandments. I was teaching uh, religious education a few years ago in a primary school in Perth, a fair few years ago, and uh, we were finishing up the term and we had a panel come and I was part of the panel and the kids got to ask questions of us and, you know, put their hand up or I think we maybe did a secret one where you write it down so they don't get embarrassed. And we uh, opened up this question. No, no, actually, it was a girl who raised her hand and she asked a question about God's judgment. One of my other panel members, there was another pastor from one of the churches, explained God's judgment just like this. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. And I remember her face just froze. Now, I don't think she'd done anything particularly bad, but she froze when she realised, God sees my hidden things? Isn't that amazing? God sees everything. So what do we do? We fear God and we keep his commandments. But what does that mean? When I hear that, I think be a good person, keep the rules and be afraid. That's not what it means. It's about your heart. Jesus explains it very well. We had that Bible reading, but one before it is Matthew 22. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That is, it's all wrapped up and summarised in that. Love God and love people. And the reading we had kind of brings that out for us. John explains what that looks like in everyday life for us. And says, this is the commandment, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commandments lives in us and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So what does fear God and keep his commandments mean? It's very important because Ecclesiastes just said the whole sum, the whole duty of mankind is to do that. Jesus gives us clarity on it. It's this. Love God with all you are. Trust Jesus with all you have. And love people like Jesus has loved you. Do you get that? It's about your heart. Love God with all you are. Trust Jesus with all you have. And love people like Jesus has loved you. There's the conclusion of the matter. That's Ecclesiastes. The challenge for us tomorrow morning, and for me, for you, is to remember. Remember, speak those words to you, to yourself, to your heart, to your mind, to your soul, because we won't naturally do it, will we? We have the Holy Spirit that will enable us, help us, but we need to remember. Love God with all you are, trust Jesus with all you have, and love people like Jesus has loved you. That's it for Ecclesiastes. But I thought we wouldn't finish there. We've seen two realities in Ecclesiastes. It's been, I've enjoyed it, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed it. To be honest, it's my favourite book in the Bible and that's why I started preaching it. 
uh, my first thing I did here. But two realities, such clarity is so helpful. And I hope it's been helpful to you. What I want to finish up with is just summarising the six big areas that we looked at, in case you might have missed one. Because there's two options for us. One is, it is possible for you to say that you're a Christian and go and live under the sun. That's possible. We don't want to do that, do we? We want to live under Jesus. So, here's the big ticket items. Number one, I don't know if you remember, we started at satisfaction. And under the sun, we saw that nothing really changes and nothing really satisfies. It's Groundhog Day, remember? Over and over and over again. But under Jesus, we are satisfied forever. I apologise, it's quite small, but I wanted to put it all onto one slide. Can you read it? Kind of? Maybe we'll email it out during the week. Under Jesus, we are satisfied forever. That is, Jesus, there's a double satisfaction going on, remember? At the cross, God's anger at our sin is completely satisfied. But also, our need for forgiveness and righteousness is satisfied. Double satisfaction. In Jesus, God is satisfied with us and we are satisfied with Him. What's the next one? Wisdom. Under the sun, worldly wisdom cannot solve anything that lasts. But under Jesus, Christ crucified is God's wisdom to solve our eternal problems. Our brains can't work it out. If you just look out there and try and work it out, you can't do it. And you can't save yourself. And you can't know the God who made you. When Jesus dies for our sins, that is the wisdom of God. The world looks at it as foolishness. We see it as wisdom. Why? Because it saves us. It enables us to approach God with confidence, to know God and to know life in his name. Number three, pleasures. Under the sun, the pleasures of the world are empty and ending. Under Jesus... The pleasures of God are full and forever. Remember my favourite verse, Psalm 16, 11? In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the thing I keep quoting that you'll be sick of is C.S. Lewis. We're far too easily pleased. Mud pies in the slums. When our Father's mansion is waiting for us by the beach. What about the next one? Time. Under the sun, there's a time for everything. We can't control any of it. There's actually an eternal burden in our hearts. God has put eternity in the hearts of mankind, but we can't understand it. Under Jesus, the cross restores eternity in our hearts. Under Jesus, our lives are redeemed. Our time is redeemed. The, the judge takes our judgment makes peace with us and God, and therefore you walk out of here redeemed. Your time is redeemed. And therefore the burden on us is to make the most of our time. Teach us to number our days. We've just sung that. Life is not meaningless in Jesus Christ. The challenge is to use our time for his glory, not ours. Number five, wealth. We're almost there. Under the sun, we want more wealth. We're burdened by it. We worry more about it. Under Jesus, we store up for ourselves as much as we can. Treasures 
in heaven. It turns out God wants us to be rich. The location is the problem. Not here. In heaven. Jesus says it clearly. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Perth, gospel says, store up for yourselves treasures here and now. And Jesus says the exact opposite. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we ended up saying, Jesus says, don't waste your life. When you look back on your life, you don't want to see that you spent most of your time storing up stuff here. Store up treasures in heaven, which is what? Jesus. With people. Forever. It's that simple. Last one, which we saw last week, as we've already talked about. Under the sun, all people die in sin. Chance rules an uncertain life. But under Jesus, he has conquered death and makes people live forever So death doesn't devastate, chance doesn't rule. We walk out of here with safety and security. So there you go. Two worlds Ecclesiastes gives us, under the sun or under Jesus. One is empty and ending, the other is full and forever. The question for us as we finish up, which one are you going to spend your life living in? That's Ecclesiastes. Now, I just want to finish up, lastly, 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 with an amazing quote that I think summarises this and will let this be the final word on Ecclesiastes. It's from John Newton, who was an ex-slave trader. He wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, turned into an Anglican minister, so obviously that's a good thing. Have a listen to what he says. For if I am redeemed from misery by the blood of Jesus, And if he is now preparing me a mansion near himself, that I may drink of the rivers of pleasure at his right hand forevermore, the question is not, at least ought not be, how may I pass through life with the least inconvenience? But how may my little span of life be made most useful to the praise and glory of him who loved me and gave himself for me? Pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes, for the clarity that you've given us. And Father, as we finish this book and go out to our lives, we pray that we wouldn't be unchanged, that we would see the reality of life under the sun, that it is meaningless, but we would see life under Jesus. It is full and forever. Enable us by your Spirit to continue to live In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. We're going to sing.